Okay, cool. I burped before we started. Because <laughs> I don't do it on the podcast like someone. Who? You. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Uh, so welcome to Known Unknowns. Welcome. Don't we do I'm Harry and I'm Carly? Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm Harry. And I'm Carly. I'm Carly. This and this is Known Unknowns, the podcast. Um, so what's new? Uh, just more of the same. Yeah. I mean, not really. No, there's a lot, <laughs> a lot has changed since last week. Yeah. Uh, still, still protests going on all over the country. Still huge. That's good. Apparently 30,000 people were at the one in Union Park yesterday. Oh, wow. I saw multiple posts that said 30,000 people and I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, I don't know. The, the the protests have, I guess the like looting has stopped. I think it's stopped, yeah. But uh, they, I, I mean, so like the, the media and such are still are like calling the protests more peaceful now, but the... The violence against protesters by the police has it's not calmed still, down. Yeah. <laughs> still. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear the the um, curfew is lifted here, though. Yeah. In uh, several cities, they've and finally lifted the curfew because, you know, it failed to do what they wanted it to do. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they, I mean, they wanted... They put the curfew in, into place to, like, keep people from protesting, but that didn't work. And so they have given up now after, like, a week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <sighs> oh, you, what do you have? I I mean, is, did you have anything else you wanted to say? No. Um, oh, okay. Well... Then I'll talk about it more. Okay, talk about it more. <laughs> I thought that you wanted to talk about this stuff. I do, but I don't know what to say. Um, okay, uh, well, so some some good thing, a lot of good things actually are coming out of the protests. And, um, you know, we've had all four of the officers charged in George Floyd's murder, um, though we're still waiting on that to happen in uh, Brianna Taylor's and I think her many... case was reopened. Yeah, it was. What I've it's heard. been reopened, but that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Um, but I mean, the biggest good thing to come out of all the protests is should the Minneapolis Minneapolis City Council or a supermajority of city council members in Minneapolis say that they intend to uh, disband the police department in that city. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't uh, see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was today or yesterday, sometime o- over the weekend. Wow. Mm-hmm. Either Saturday or Sunday. Um, and then replace it with uh, new new services to deal with things. Are you serious? Yeah. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. I wish that would happen here. <laughs> that won't. Yeah, I know. But, uh, yeah. Well, the... I don't, I, I don't know. The things that, I don't know, there are a lot of cities that are like touting all the police reforms or, I don't know. You, you know that like eight that can't wait thing? Mm-hmm. 
or the you know the eight eight, eight steps eight. that people that like cities can take to like you know reduce police violence by like 72 percent yeah is how that i don't know that a lot of cities have been touting how they already have so many of those in place and which you know belies like how useless that whole proposal is <laughs> i know <laughs> i hate it whenever <laughs> i see it i'm like no mm-hmm. yeah i know you can't reform it <laughs> Yeah, and no, I mean, and the, those are all steps that like gotta get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I and it's you know, I, I over the past week though, we've seen like a ton of like, um, a ton of people like coming in and like trying to re realign the protest movement so it is about those or like making those small reforms inst- instead. Like I don't know, um, Trevor. Bolu, I think his name is. Um, he was on like uh, last week's premium Chapo Trap House episode, and he he used the word um, outside accommodators for those people, or like the people like Deray and like other you know the people who you see like come to protest and then try to go viral, like hugging the police and whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> you know people who like aren't aren't you know part of the who like you know come from wherever to the protest to like try and you know hijack it to keep it away from more radical like uh solutions that they're gathering and that that much more than outside agitators is the real thing that's like that would that hurts um these protests you know yeah the people who come in and try to like you know disperse that energy or like direct it into like um uh by, by causes that don't actually get anything useful done. Yeah. I like someone I know that I don't think he doesn't listen to this and I don't think anyone I know knows him. It's just someone that I know. <laughs> so I can talk about it. Okay. Uh I like met him at a at an internship. He doesn't even live he goes to school somewhere else. He, okay. Like, Rare. He like lives in the suburbs. Name his name. No, um, say his address. Just in case he actually listens to it. I don't say know he say does, where though. he works. His address. His full name. I don't name. know where he works. I don't know his address. I don't remember his full name. Anyway, um, you you'll know him. He uh, but he posted on Facebook. He's like, oh, I I have a lot to say. Blah 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 blah. And he's like, white. Mm-hmm. And comes from a very like rich suburb in Chicago, and goes to uh, where does he go? Syracuse, something. I'm just talking to myself, oh. <laughs> not you. Uh, he he goes to some fancy ass school in New York or whatever. Syracuse okay. or however you say it, Syracuse, however you say that. <laughs> anyway, uh, and he posted about how he well he was like at first when I saw that. Um, people people were talking about just abolishing the police. I thought, that's crazy. How would you do that? And he, he's still, like, on the fence about it. And he was, like, he talked about all the times he ever had to call 911 and how it wasn't that helpful. But what would he do if he didn't have them? And then he's, like, can, ever, can everyone else share their experiences when they had to call 911 and whether it was helpful or not? 
And so mm-hmm. ever, all these like white people were like commenting like, I once had to call the cops for this and this and this and this. And I'm like, oh my, what the f-? And I almost messaged him like, you should take this down. <laughs> that is not, like, don't say everyone comment why you think the police are great and when you called them and for what <laughs> yeah why they're helpful and i'm like you know you're like on the fence about because in the post he was like well i realized that they're not really that they never helped me that much when i called them so i think he was kind of getting it but so i almost like messaged him and said hey mm-hmm. if you're like you're like almost there don't <laughs> post like this thing that's going to convince you the other way. Like, why are you trying to, this is only going to promote the police. It just made me mad. I was like, you don't know how privileged this sounds. Because right. he was like, I called the cops one time because we were at the grocery store and my mom found, realized she had her wallet stolen out of her purse. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it was just uh, stuff like that. Uh-huh. It was weird. Yeah. And it made me mad. <laughs> I don't know. That wasn't necessary to talk about. I saw that uh, the like two police officers got suspended or fired for like pushing pushing like this really old man. Yeah. And then like the rest of the police department was like, "We're not coming to work until <laughs> they get rehired." Right. And I'm like, "Okay, first of all, you're being ridiculous. Second, good. Don't come back to work. <laughs> you're doing me a favor." Like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I was like, yeah, okay, like fifty-seven police in the Philadelphia like police department. Like, I was like, no, there's some like an <laughs> whole some some unit like in its entirety. I don't remember who which unit it was, but yeah, like it's, uh, it's called on or no, they did they resign? I think they resigned. They may have resigned. Also, I saw that like in New York, like on average, like six police officers a day are, have been resigning over like the protests and stuff. Um, I don't know about those statistics for Chicago, if that's happening here. I know they put something out that was like, the police officers are exhausted. Mm-hmm. Or something. Yeah. So. <laughs> and so in response, uh, Lightfoot has hired Monterey Security, which uh, is a super shady company um, that does, is, is it has been accused many times of like using excessive force. They like use like you know unlicensed security guards and stuff they killed a person in the exact same way that Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd um and so Lightfoot's had hired like 500 of them to use for like security around the city and stuff she's crazy Mm -hmm. yeah it makes me mad because people are getting all mad about her now and then they're like oh you tricked us into the year just because you're black and gay and whatever like you tricked us into thinking this and that's why i voted for you and i'm like bitch <laughs> if you would have done at least even a little bit of research you would have found out yeah. she's trash I like know. it makes me mad because everyone's getting really mad about her now and i'm like Mm-hmm. I tried to tell you people. <sighs> I tried. We. I did not vote for her, and I'm very happy about it. But I know people are like, "Oh, the and I'm like, "No, you. If you would have looked into it at all, if you would have, if you would have been an educated voter, you read one article, <laughs> you would have found out that she's trash, and that this is all very expected of her. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know. Everyone's like, this is insane. And I'm like, not really. And this is exactly what she said. Like, mm-hmm. I don't get it. It makes me really mad. I'm like, well, maybe you shouldn't have voted for her. This is Which why we don't. This is why you don't vote for prosecutors. Or people who literally allegedly participate in the cover-up of Laquan McDonald's murder. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm like, did you just not do any research on this woman that you voted for? She's not a good lady. Yeah, I know. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know. I, yeah. No, I I support all of the, uh, well... Uh, people people are calling to like defund and disarm the police, which I think is a good idea. But a study came out last week that showed that uh, ha- ownership of a handgun like increases the risk that that person like will commit suicide by like nine times. So I think that we can like, you know, kill two birds with one stone if we increase funding to the police and give them more access no. to guns and stuff <laughs> no. and the problem will take care of itself no stop <laughs> no what wrong no just stop moving on um anything else you want to talk about about um, the protests i can't think of anything right keep now keep going uh yeah. don't keep stop talking about it yeah the I feel like it's dying down and my timelines are slowly turning back into dumb things (laughs) that I don't care about. And it's like, no, 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 no. I refrain from tweeting dumb things at least 17 times a day because (laughs) of this. You can refrain from doing it. I -hmm. promise. (laughs) I mean, the coverage of the protests has been dying down, but the protests themselves absolutely have, are not dying down. I know, but we need to keep talking about it on social media. Yeah, no, I know. People are tweeting about dumb things again, and I'm like, stop it. I know. Posting dumb things again on Instagram, Facebook, and I'm like, shut up. <laughs> well, no, no one should post anything on Facebook or no, Instagram like or Twitter Facebook. or no one should post. Yeah, everyone just boycott social media. No. <laughs> Unless you're, I guess, organizing protests and stuff. Yeah. Don't then, but everyone else. No one should go on social media at all. And then they can't see about the protests. Um, and I think, I don't know if that will solve any problems, but it's my idea. Did you all hear about J.K. Rowling? <laughs> I she's mean, crazy. Yeah. She's we, a crazy bitch. We, uh, we already knew she was a turf, so. I know, but everyone's like really mad about it now. I think because she made, she like tweeted a whole bunch. Yeah, I like, know. Like I started scrolling through just to read. Because first I had to check if I followed her still. And apparently I did. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I followed her when I first got on Twitter, like when I only knew of her, like because of Harry Potter. And then I, I just... Whenever I scrolled through my timeline and saw something from her, I assumed someone else I knew retweeted it, so I just skipped it because I'm like, she's trash. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'll just skip it. I right. never realized that I it was seeing her stuff because I followed her. <laughs> I know, I'm dumb. But uh, yeah, then I started reading all the tweets that she made about it, and I'm like, oh my god, you are mm-hmm. the worst human. Yeah. She's kind of terrible. Yeah, she is. 
Very terrible. Known unknown, known unknowns podcast says trans rights uh, and stuff. Mm-hmm. We believe trans women are women and trans men are men. Mm-hmm. All right. Just... You made it sound sarcastic. No. Oh. Well. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. She's um, trash. Most of what I say sounds sarcastic. I know. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I saw a tweet that was like, can we just pretend that uh, Daniel Radcliffe wrote Harry Potter? <laughs> and then I'm like, well, I just found out that Harry Potter is also very problematic. And that's sad. Because I read it when I was little. I didn't get it. Right. Was I supposed to understand all of it? No, it's supposed to just, you know, like embed in your mind so that you hold those stereotypes with you throughout your life. Shit. <laughs> did you read Harry Potter? Yeah. I did too. Yeah, it's good. I love Harry Potter. It's good except for the racist parts. Yeah, well, I need to reread it now because I did. I don't, I'm like, wait, what? I don't remember anything about Harry Potter either. Like, when people mention stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah. I read it so long ago, I don't even remember. Uh, anything else you want to talk about, Carly? No, what I think else? we should get Anything into going on topics. in your personal life? How's no. your love life? Um, not good, so let's just skip it. Okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, How about you start? All right, cool. Let's get into the stuff they came here for. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, I'm going to talk about the jackalope. Which or jackalopes. I thought was real. It's... But apparently it's not. <laughs> so continue. Well, I, you know, it's a real, you know, symbol of the American West and stuff. I don't know. I don't care. Just keep going. It's a classic, classic symbol of tall tales and things. Okay, are you going right. to talk about it or not? Maybe I won't. Go! Okay. So the jackalope. It's a portmanteau of jackrabbit and antelope. <laughs> Bunny with antlers. <laughs> yes. Right? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it has the body of a hare um, or jackrabbit and the antlers of a deer. Hey, Bunny. <laughs> Sorry, I saw, I saw a rabbit. Some say there's an, uh, yeah, so it, uh, yeah, jackalope, body of a hare, antlers of a deer. Right. Uh, some say there's another variety, the saber-toothed jackalope, which has like, which is larger and it has like foot long, big yeah. incisors and stuff or I've various seen length. Drawings of that. Teeth. Um, I knew that one was And some other like. Some other specimens of jackalope have, like, feathers on their, like, tail, or they have wings or something. They fly? Uh, maybe. Who knows? Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I Apparently, they're they're real dangerous, though, even even whether they fly or not. So I hope they don't. Okay. I didn't know they were dangerous. Yeah, well, they're, 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 they're very, like, defensive and, like, terror defensive of their, like, home, apparently. Hmm. Like, hunters... Hunters would have to wear like stovepipe stovepipes on their legs when they went out hunting to keep jackrabbit from like goring or the jackalope from goring their legs. Mm. Sorry. 
Um, you know, the saber-tooth version uh, of the jackalope is apparently carnivorous, so that's not good. Ew. And they will attack with little or no provocation. Whoa. Yeah. They're bad. What? I know. I'm just listening. Okay. They're cute, uh, but they're bad news. They are cute. <laughs> um, apparent, but uh, even cuter is that cowboys would uh, would hear them mimicking their voices at night. Aww. Like from far away. Cowboys? The, only cowboys heard this? Well, they're, they're the ones that are like out on the range and stuff. Okay. Around the fire. They're, if they're, when they're, they're like, they'd. When they're singing at la- at night, the cowboys before turning to bed, they'd hear in the distance the jack jackalopes singing in harmony, take and taking the tenor part of the song. <laughs> <laughs> they're lying. I didn't hear that. <laughs> uh, that's that's just the yeah. t- stories that I heard. Okay. Uh huh. Um, apparently, that when they mimic or speech or sing along. The jackalopes have a slight French accent um, and a pronounced lisp. Um, slight French accent. This is weird. Okay. Apparently, uh, you know, possibly be from the like early fur traders okay. of the plains and stuff. They picked that up. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Uh, jackalopes uh, are known to run up to 90 miles an hour. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're very what? fast. Yeah. Lightning quick. That's faster than a cheetah. Is that faster than a cheetah? I think so, I yes. I think that's a that's lot faster very, than a very, cheetah. I think it'd be faster than just about any animal. Jeez, I don't buy it. How do we <laughs> even know that then? Because... You'd look at it and go, that's about 90 miles an hour. Well, sure. No. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have one person at point A and another person at point B is 90 miles away. And then right. you let it jackalope go mm-hmm. see when it gets there that's no 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 okay um apparently though uh if you want them to slow down and like approach you uh they're fond of whiskey jackalopes so if you <laughs> offer them a little bit of things. that <laughs> you can you can uh, you know appease them if they're acting aggressive or you know get them to approach you get them to sing in their french lisped accent yeah Okay. <laughs> what? They can run up to you I'm just at 90 re- miles an hour and talking. Uh, I think they're more likely to run accent. away. They're, they tend, but I guess, like, I don't know. If they get a whiff of whiskey, maybe they will run toward you. Damn. I'm just repeating the stories that I heard in I, my research. I know, and I think they're weird. Um, and they, they only breed during lightning flashes. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> What? That's the weirdest part. Which is, a, you know, apparently difficult due to their antlers. Makes it kind of cumbersome, I would assume. What is? Uh, breeding. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, so anyway, the, the established lore that people tell is that a jackalope was first, first documented, the first documented sighting of a jackalope. Uh, occurred in 1829 by a trapper named Roy Ball, who was uh, apparently one of the first white men in the Wy- to come to the Wyoming Territory for, like, trapping and stuff. Okay. Um, but the first physical specimen uh, of a jackalope was made in 1932 by teenage brothers Douglas and Ralph Herrick of Douglas, Wyoming. 
Um, apparently, they had taken a correspondence course in taxidermy <laughs> recently, and then when they got home from like uh, going out hunting, they'd caught a jack jackrabbit and they'd tossed it down in their shop, and it happened to land uh, next to a pair of deer antlers, and they're like, "Let's let's mount it just like that." with the antlers and stuff that's funny it. actually and so they, they they took that they made that and then they sold it to the owner of a local hotel the Levante Hotel whose name the owner's name happened to be Roy Ball of this hotel in 1932 okay so I'm guessing that that the story of that's it being it started made yeah that, that's where the jackalope started, legend started I bet the employees started saying yeah I heard it was real Mm-hmm. Yeah. He caught it. Right. Roy Ball. Mm-hmm. Good man. <laughs> caught the jackalope. Yeah, I know. And so from there, the jackalope, like, st spread all across, like, the Great Plains, like, like a wildfire. Uh, they started making, they made thousands of them. Um, and they, like, sold them for, like, $35. Oh, taxidermied. Ta taxidermied jackalopes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone wanted one. Did people know they were fake? Uh, I mean, yeah, people, okay. people, people knew they were fake. But you know, part of part of the fun of it is like convince trying to convince people they're real. Okay, and stuff. No, like the whole like the whole city of Douglas really embraced the jackalope, and it's like uh, as a symbol and like it's uh, I don't know, it's whole like uh, mythology basically, mm -hmm. um, and you know, act like it's real. Um, yeah, academics and folklorists cite the city of Douglas and the Jackalope as an example of yeah, the like the American phenomena of when like a small town or a small city will like will like promote some local obscure folklore, like you know, like the Jackalope or something, you know, as a way to like get attention on their town to like raise its like social economic status. Hmm. Um you know, I, I don't know. Similar to like in Ware, Massachusetts, um, I don't know if they like they got reputation for like claiming to have a bunch of like alligator sightings there or like, um, I don't know, people in Nantucket made up example like a sea serpent that they would see to like get people to pay, pay attention to them. Or like <laughs> Perry, New York also had like a silver lake serpent and they like, you know, would make like a festival about a festival all about it yeah. and stuff you know or, or hmm. similar to like the mothman festival in uh west virginia and oh. are you seeing are you saying something about that Harry? no i'm saying i'm just saying that like they the, made it up to get attention because they didn't the mothman is real i don't think they made, made it up i think they embraced it to like get attention to the town i don't know it's like a fun thing for a town to do oh uh, like yeah i really want to go to it have like a you know have, can we have go a, yeah they had to Wait, did they postpone it this year? Uh, I think so, yeah. It looks like they just postponed the Jackalope Days Festival as well in uh, Douglas. Um, and everywhere in Douglas, they have, like, jackalopes on, like, benches and, like, you know, sculptures and stuff. Or there's an eight-foot-tall statue in Jackalope Square of a jackalope. <laughs> jackalope um, Square. They have signs all over telling people to, like, beware of them. How they're like dangerous and stuff. How you should be on the lookout. That's really fun. Um, uh, there, there, there are stores selling like all kind of like jackalope merchandise to tourists. Even it does sound like uh, Mothman mm -hmm. town. Even, yeah, they I even don't sell. Even uh, remember what the town was? Uh, jackalope milk. 
Um, which, you know, the, according to the New York Times, its authenticity, uh, quote, its, its authenticity is questionable. Every, everyone knows how dangerous it is to milk a jackalope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in early June, they have the Jackalope Days Festival and the, uh, the Douglas Area Chamber of Commerce distributes um, jackalope hunting licenses. No! Which are uh, valid only on the 31st day of June um, from, 12, from 12 midnight to 2 a.m. Two hours? <laughs> yeah, on June 31st. It's not real. Which isn't real. Yeah. Oh, that's really <laughs> funny, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I had I, I found a PDF of the uh, what they have. <laughs> I mean, it looks it looks fairly official. Um, That's kind of cool. Yeah. No. I, it says that uh, if you if you don't comply with the terms of the license, you're subject to a thirteen dollar fine and or a sentence of thirteen months hard play in Douglas, Wyoming. <laughs> um, what? That's weird. <laughs> um, also says that. Um, if you uh, bah, 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 bah. if you like cat, if successful hunters or trappers should report their kill to any tavern in Converse City, Wyoming, where the catch will be cataloged and certified, they will then be debriefed and sobered up. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, they're uh, I don't know. Uh, Douglas Douglas is all about jackalopes. I, I mean, even their like their town website says like. Home, home of, of the, the jackalope. jackalope. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> home of the jackalope. Uh, we know Jack. I think is their like slogan or something. We know Jack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Um. What else? Sorry. Uh, we were like typing, and I'm like. <laughs> no, uh, I was trying to find the actual the website to prove it to you. I I believe it. Anyway. Uh. Anyway, so I'm not I'm not sure whether before the Herrick brothers made their jackalope, um, there were actually there were myths in the how how many myths there were about like horned deer in like that area. Horned rabbits, you mean? I mean rabbits, yeah. I said horned deer. <laughs> Sorry, I meant rabbits. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if they like any or any about jackalope specifically existed or if they made up the term. I couldn't tell from a lot of the research I did. Most of it was talking about their cited them as the inventors of it. Um, but it's definitely not the first appearance of a horned rabbit in the mythology of uh, the Americas or the rest of the world. Um, yeah, I'd assume so, uh, I guess. A, a 13th century work from Persia depicts a rabbit with a horn like a unicorn's. <laughs> That's really funny. Maybe that was their unicorn at the time. Could be, yeah. Um, early, like... Uh, 15th and 16th century um like scientific and like natural history like texts uh, and have illustrations and like that depict horned rabbits or rabbits that look like they have antlers and they refer to hmm. them as if they're actual creatures and stuff mm -hmm. um and you know there there are also legends of creatures similar to the jackalope and like the folklore of other parts of europe too um, like for instance, the Rasselbach, uh, which comes from Germany's Thuringian forest, which is like virtually identical to the jackalope or, uh, the Volpertinger, which comes from Bavaria, um, which has the head of a rabbit, the body of a squirrel, um, antlers of a deer and the wings of a pheasant. <laughs> 
Um, and there's also the Skveder uh, of Sweden, which has the forequarters and hind legs of a European hare and the back wings and tail of a female wood grouse. What? I don't even know what that is. It's a kind of bird, basically. Oh. Um, yeah. This is... Uh, no, that's a Wolpertinger. Um, but uh, this is what that looks like. A, a rabbit with wings and feathers, basically. They're all kind of cute, though. Cause I know, they, they are really like cute. rabbits. Yeah, rabbits are cute. That's cute. Mm-hmm. That's the Wolpertinger. Oh. It's got, like... Is a the rabbit bangs. with like... Oh, he's so cute. <laughs> I think they're cute. I know. Uh, in Sweden, they like... Uh, the province of Middelpad, uh, in 1987, they like were voting on like a provincial animal. And a ton of people voted for the skvader, but as a compromise, they just went with the mountain hare. Oh. Um, and they... I don't know. The, the word skvader has come to mean like a bad compromise or a combination of contra- contradicting ele- elements in Sweden. And they also had... I'm talking about the Skvader because I wanted to talk about a cool, like, bus-truck con- con- uh, combination vehicle that they used to have what? in the 1950s and 60s, <laughs> um, where which was, like, which was used on the small bus r- routes around parts of Sweden, where the front end was of the bus would, like, take passengers around on, like, a regular bus route, and the back end was an open, like, loading bay used for delivering milk. From like farms and stuff to the dairy. What? That's fun. Yeah, no, I think it's a cool idea. It is a cool really idea. Want... <laughs> is that that red thing? On yeah, there? that's what that's what that's that fun. looks like. There's like half a short bus in the front and then a truck bed in the back. It's I, fun. It's a good idea. I think it we is a good have idea. Those in uh, everywhere. Yeah. Um, I like it. <laughs> anyway, and also and and in the Americas, um, they had the Huichol uh, people of Central Mexico. In their oral tradition, it tells of a story of how a trickster deer got his antlers from a horned rabbit. How originally they they say that like rabbits originally had to- had antlers, and then deer oh, like, took it from took them, them. Basically, mm-hmm. um, there are also legends of horned rabbits uh, all over Africa and Asia, and like everywhere else, rabbits are. But no basically. one's ever actually seen a real horned rabbit. Um, well, actually. Right? No. Um. So the, the these all these like different legends and stuff probably originate with people. Yeah, actually seeing rabbits with, um, not technically horns, but they they did they would look like they have horns. They actually so th- there actually are rabbits that have like protuberances that come out of like different parts of their head and neck sometimes hmm. um but they're not actually horns they're actually tumors caused by uh, the shope papilloma virus sad yeah um and so in 1933 or, or around the same time that the herricks invented the jackalope um uh dr richard e shope discovered that um uh, there were there were reports coming out of like hunters in like the Midwest and plains of like uh, you know rabbits they killed like having weird like like weird warts and like big like hard like horn type things coming out of their heads and necks and so he he found out that it hmm. was a virus causing them. Do, the, do rabbits uh, still it, get like, it cancer. sometimes? Uh huh. Yeah, they can still get it. Um, let me see. Here's here's a picture with some on its face, basically. 
Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, those look like antlers. Yeah, they, they do really look like horns like if of, it coming out of its head. came out if of it, its head, like up, mm-hmm. well, that would be an antler. Yeah, I know. So oh, my it's gosh. T- like a keratinous carcinoma is what it's called. Hmm. Um, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. Apparently they can like, yeah, they can, they don't just So they just are kind of real. So, so they are kind of real, yeah. Hmm. They're, yeah. Okay. So that, that that's what I got on the jackalope. <laughs> that was interesting. Good. I liked it. Great. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was good. Uh, yeah. Well, I meant to mention that for a long time, this state of Wyoming has been trying, legislators in the state of Wyoming have been trying to get it uh, classified as their official mythical creature. But whenever the the, uh, the House of Representatives like passes that bill, it eventually it just dies in the Senate in settings the commit in committee in the Senate. It never gets past the House of Representatives in Wyoming. Uh, Why not? I don't know. In the eighties, in nineteen sixty five, though, the state of Wyoming did um, trademark jackalope name, and they also the governor in nineteen eighty five, I guess, declared that. It was Wyoming was the official home of the jackalope. <laughs> it's funny. Mm-hmm, I know. Do you find a lot of those horned, uh, the bunnies with the disease in Wyoming then? Uh, not not necessarily. No, not really. They're just uh most. Uh, the, originally it was in Iowa where oh it was where the um yeah show well, was doing Iowa his research. Gets it. Okay. But I like. We should go. Yeah, we should. Like, I would love to go there sometime for. We'll do a. We'll, I want to go. Where's the Mothman one at? I forgot. I'm pretty in, sure I talked about it's, it. it too. In, I don't remember the name of the city, but it's in West Virginia. West Virginia. Is that far? That's not that far. It's in. Yeah, it, it's not that far. It's in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> duh. <laughs> it would be like a a day driving, and then a day driving back. I want to go to the Mothman Festival, and I want to go to this Jackalope Festival. To, to tell you what, some summer we will go to all the like cryptid festivals that we can. This summer. When, <laughs> once the podcast starts making money. Yeah, we'll do like we'll a like, live, live yeah. stream it. Yeah, that would be good. Once the podcast starts making money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or, you know, if if our listeners want us to do that, they can send us money and, like, earmark it for... Uh, we should start a GoFundMe. Yeah. A GoFundMe for Carly and Harry for known unknowns to, to you know, go. travel the country and cover various cryptid fests. Whoa. That'd be awesome. Be cool. It would be cool. Be really darn cool. We can start a blog about it. I'm going to start a blog, everyone. <laughs> I hope everyone is excited about it. Has nothing to do with this topic. <laughs> I'm, ta- I'm starting a cycling blog. Mm-hmm. It's going to be good. Yeah, it is. I hope. Anyway, sure do you have anything else? <laughs> no, that's, 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 that's the end of the jackalope. Okay. That's the end of the creature couch. I need to stop this so I can t- uh, turn on my computer. Okay. Okay, we're back and i'm back too cool uh so i'm gonna i'm talking about yeah the, I'm interested to hear about this yeah it's a good one i can't wait it's kind of weird actually okay. but like y- you know you wouldn't think that this would be a cool topic but it is trust it me it sounds right up my alley mm-hmm. i'm talking about the 1968 kentucky derby yes. and peter fuller and his horse 
name, the horse's name is Dancer's Image. Okay. That's the name of the, Dancer's Image. Okay. It's the name of the horse. Mm-hmm. So, are okay. we ready for this? Yeah. We're headed to Conspiracy Corner, everyone. Great. I love a very obscure conspiracy. Yeah, no, it's really good. Okay. So, a little bit about the Kentucky Derby. For all of you folks who don't know what the Kentucky Derby is, <laughs> it's a horse race held annually huh. in Louisville, Kentucky, United States. Oh, that, yeah, Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Almost always on the first Sunday in May, capping the two-week-long Kentucky Derby Festival. The competition is a grade one stakes race for three-year-old thoroughbreds at a distance of one and a quarter miles at Churchill Downs. It is dubbed the the run for the roses, stemming from the blanket of roses draped over the winning horse. Mm -hmm. And it is also known in the United States as the most exciting two minutes in sports <laughs> or the fastest two minutes in sports wow. because of its approximate duration. Because uh -huh. usually the first place winner comes in around two minutes. Mm -hmm. And I think Secretariat or whatever his name was, that uh -huh. his name, came in like, under two minutes oh. and that was like the big deal or like 158 or something crazy uh. like that i looked at the times uh -huh. um so peter fuller peter fuller a new england golden gloves champion he's won 50 of 58 bouts 30 by knockouts oh he's a oh he's a boxer no wait what peter fuller yeah Oh, wait. I think he was a boxer. <laughs> Sounds like he's a boxer. Wait, is that boxing stats? Yeah. Oh, frick. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a boxer. I get into that later, actually. He, whenever he was younger, he was a boxer. I don't know why I kept that in there then. Okay. <laughs> On a beautiful spring afternoon in Churchill Downs. We're not in Boxing County anymore, okay? okay? <laughs> no. On a beautiful spring afternoon in Churchill Downs, Fuller's Gray Colt. Dancer's image, Dancer's image was weaving his way through 13 rivals with jockey Bobby. Oh, there's, there's three. This, we're, at the, we're at the Kentucky Derby right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, lost his stick at the 316th pole. It didn't matter. With a vigorous hand ride, Dancer's image. <laughs> what is I don't, that? I don't like that. With a vigorous hand ride. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, Dancer's image surged to the lead in the final... In the final furlong and drew clear, winning by a length and a half in the 94th running of the Kentucky Derby. Um, so, Peter Fuller was handed the $5,000 gold derby trophy. Nice. In the winner's circle by Kentucky Governor Louis Nunn. A as customary, the trophy was sent to the derby's jeweler to be engraved. Mm-hmm. Got it. Fuller Got it. would never touch the trophy again. Oh, no. Bum, bum, bum. Did he die? What? Did he die? No. Okay. Uh, so, three days later, Churchill Downs President Walter Nebelkamp announced Dancer's image, the horse, mm -hmm. had traces of phenylbutazone. Uh-oh. An anti-inflammatory drug hmm. in his bloodstream during the race. So, the runner-up, Horse Forward Pass, that's the name, Forward mm -hmm. Pass, was declared the winner. 
Dancer's image was placed last. The only disqualification in derby history. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I was stunned. Absolutely stunned, Fuller said in an interview. This sounds silly, but I felt bad for the horse. He earned the win in the biggest race in the world, and they took his title away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Poor horse. I know. Poor dancer's image. Friggin' his whole life is about that. <laughs> so a little history about Peter Fuller. Peter Fuller. Ready? Okay. We're going back. Go b- back to Mr. In 1903... Peter's Ful- Peter Fuller's father, mm-hmm. Alvin T., became the first authorized Packard automobile dealer in the country, and mm-hmm. shortly after, the first Cadillac distributor. Okay. Then later, he was elected governor of Massachusetts from 1925 to 1929. The senior Fuller never cashed a paycheck, leaving them to his sons as what he called souvenirs of my public service. After battling health issues as a young boy, Peter began wrestling as a teenager and after launched an impressive boxing career. I read his stats earlier. <laughs> I must have put it in the wrong section of the my paper here. Uh, he belonged to the Algonquin Club and sat on the boards of Boston College and Boston University. On the death of his father, Fuller inherited an estate of $12 million. Wow. Mm-hmm. So Peter Fuller was introduced to racing when he attended a 1954 Belmont paddock sale and bought a mare named Michiki. Six days later, she won a race. Hey. And he was hooked. I would be too. Mm-hmm. Within three years, Fuller operated a racing stable of 18 horses and gradually shifted from claiming racehorses to breeding them on his 200-acre farm in North North Hampton, New Hampshire. Okay. Northampton, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. That's not a New Hampshire accent. So six years later, Fuller (laughs) bred the mare to Native Dancer, the world's top stud fee, $20,000. Wow. And Fuller named the colt Alvin T. to honor his late father. When Fuller's trainer, Lou Cavallaris, spotted the colt's weak ankles, he Mm. recommended Fuller put him in the yearling sale at Hialeah. Fuller (laughs) reluctantly entered the cult. He also petitioned the jockey club to change the cult's name to Dancer's Image. Mm -hmm. Quote, not only was I selling a cult I loved, I was selling a cult named for my father. My wife, Joanne, kept asking me, why do you want to sell him? He's so beautiful. Yeah. Hang on, I'm waiting for our roommates to stop yelling. Okay, sorry, we're back. Um, so, yeah, it's like, he's so beautiful. Uh, Fuller, so Fuller ended up selling him, and then he ended up buying the horse back for $26,000 because he liked it too much. <laughs> did he, how much did he sell it for? I don't know, but I'm assuming he bought it for a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Because he, he was like, oh, actually, I like my horse. Yeah. Aw. And then he kept the name Dancer's Image. Um, So as for Dancer's image, he faced some challenges against uh, Calumet Farms' uh, forward pass and his puffy right ankle that was especially sore following um, his recent victory. So back to the um, race. Oh, okay. Uh, So the clear favorite 
uh, heading into the Derby was the Horse Forward Pass. Okay. Uh, trained by Henry Forrest and triumphed in the Hibiscus Stakes, the Everglade Stakes, the Florida Derby, and the Bluegrass Stakes, the premier derby prep race, and Calumet Farm was confident of picking up its eighth derby trophy that day. All right. So, you know, Dancer's image with his weak ankle <laughs> was a little... Uh, he, he wasn't... He wasn't the fan favorite. Right. Um... So as the race approached, the, the biggest worry on Fuller's mind was his horse's health. Uh, when Dancer's mm-hmm. image tweaked his right front ankle in a workout, Dr. Alex Harthill, or Harthill? Harthill? I'm going to say Harthill. I bet it's Harthill. Um, the famous derby vet administered a therapeutic dose of four grams of phenylbutazone uh, six days before the race. Okay. So universally known as Butte, I think B-U-T-E, it is classified as a painkiller effective in alleviating inflammation of the joints. So like ibuprofen. I feel like that's ibuprofen. Yeah. Um, At the time, it was illegal for use on horses during during a race in Kentucky, though not in other racing jurisdictions, but it's legal Mm -hmm. everywhere for use at other times. Okay. So he didn't take it on the day. He took right. it like six days six before. Six days before. Um, and Butte takes 72 hours for the drug to be purged from the animal system. Interesting. So theoretically, right. I, I read four, I think it was actually four days before the race. Uh-huh. So theoretically, twice as much time was allowed as necessary for the horse to be drug free on Derby Day. Right. And it was still, it was technically legal. For them to be using it. Right. It was legal, just not dirt. You can't have you it. You can't have in it. During a race. Yeah. In Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So testing of the Derby winner was considered just a formality by the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so after testing a sample of dancers, images, saliva, and urine, the racing chemist ruled a positive test. Mm-hmm. The stewards accepted it without question. So Fuller unleashed his attorneys. <laughs> um, they argue repeatedly that the chemist was not credible and the testing procedures were flawed, uh, were so flawed that the test results were unreliable. Okay. I have no idea, Fuller replied. As far as Dr. Harthill was concerned, the horse was in his barn and he wanted him to win, in my opinion. Right. As far as we're concerned, the only time Dancer's image had Butte that week was the Sunday before the race. And the funny thing is, Butte was legal in Kentucky the year before and the the year before this race and the year oh, after this race. Interesting. It was only illegal so, during that year. Right. That race. On December 11th, 1970, Franklin Circuit Court Judge Henry Meigs ruled the state's drug tests were, quote, inadequate and contradictory. Okay. So the following day's headline in the Courier-Journal proclaimed, Court rules Dancer's image won 1968 Kentucky Derby. Okay. So it was like reversed. Right. Um, Refusing to accept defeat, the Kentucky Racing Commission appealed to the State Court of Appeals. Uh Uh-huh. On April 28th, 1972, the 1968 Kentucky Derby finally ended. (laughs) Overruling the lower court, the Court of Appeals held that there was substantial evidence to support the Racing Commission's original ruling. Okay. So four years later, they decided, okay, yeah, you're disqualified. Okay. (laughs) So, um, 
Um, the disqualification of Dancer's image was restored. Beaten on the racetrack, Forward Pass nevertheless uh, became Calumet Farms' eighth derby winner. Uh, Fuller had spent more than $200,000 fighting for a winner's purse of $122,600. But I don't <laughs> think he was winning. He was fighting for the money. I think he was like, oh. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. I he mean, was trying to clear his horse's name. Well, sure. Uh, so here's a quote from someone who, okay. uh, Hellering, I, he must have been like someone who did something, <laughs> who wrote the article or something. Okay. I don't know. Um, Peter Fuller was a wonderful man, but he sort of lived the rest of his life in the service of his horse, defending it, fighting to clear its name. So well, that's the story. Uh-huh. So now I'm going to get into um, some conspiracy theories. Okay. Interesting. Yes. So... Coming off of a win in the Wood Memorial, Fuller's homebred son of Native Dancer was considered one of the horses to beat in the 1968 Derby. Okay. On the advice of another of his trainers, Odie Cleland, Fuller decided to stable the horse in a barn of Dr. Alex Harthill in uh-huh. a different area in a different era in the sport. Hart Hill was such an influential veterinarian that not only did he have his own office at the backstretch at Churchill, but he had his own barn. So the day of the race, he like put it in right. Hart Hill's barn. And this is the guy that gave him the drug like four or six days before. Right. Um, it was hardly a surprise that Hart Hill was brought into the fold as he was widely known as the Derby Duck until his death in 2005. It was reported that Hart Hill had said he had treated 26 Kentucky Derby winners. Many of the theories that have evolved over the years center around Hart Hill. Interesting. So apparently no one really believes that uh, this was the right ruling. or Everyone kind of believes that something is fishy. Right. No one really believed that uh-huh. that was real. So... I mean, like... It- Yeah, like a lot of conspiracy theories where everyone knows that there's something fishy going on here, but no one knows quite what. Mm -hmm. So Reed, who is a 42-year-old reporter in 1968 for the Louisville Courier-Journal, covered the story and he like dug really deep into the story Mm because he was like, this isn't. So he said, in my personal opinion, I will always believe that Dr. Alex Harthill is certainly the villain of the story. Okay. Uh, in Hart Hill's obituary in the Daily Racing Form, author Marty McGee summed up the more controversial aspects of the veterinarian's life and career. Okay. So, quote, Although his legacy as a practicing veterinarian was, see- was sealed early, Hart Hill quickly became synonymous with controversy and seemed mm. to live on the edge of racing legality. Interesting. Intense speculation mm. Makes sense. long has swirled about his role in the disqualification of Dancer's Image, who tested positive for butazolidin, an anti-inflammatory drug that was banned at the time. And he was arrested in, 1950s, in the 1950s in Louisiana for allegedly bribing a testing laboratory employee. Oh. He was persona non grata, is that how you say that? Mm -hmm. In recent years in New York, and he was a central figure in countless racetrack controversies and court cases in Kentucky and elsewhere. Interesting. I mean, I can, I mean, I I, I definitely believe that. If he's 
you know, a doctor for 26, like, Kentucky Derby winners. And he's, like, around the sport. And, like, yeah, is that successful with it? You know, he 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 has to be good at, like, you know, doing stuff that's just barely mm-hmm. legal. And, like, finding finding all the right loopholes and stuff. You know? Yeah. Because, you know, that's what's fun about sports is everyone, everyone's trying, everyone's cheating. It's just, you know, it's, it's not getting caught. That's the real game. Mm-hmm. But if Hart Hill purposefully treated Dancer's image with Butte in close proximity to the race time, what would have been his motivation? Yeah. That's, you know, like, mm-hmm. why did he dose him right before the race? Right. Quote. This is from Reed. Okay. Hart Hill had treated all of Calumet's horses going all the way back uh, to citation. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Calumet, Calumet's horses, Calumet Farm. Right. Was the owner of the... Forward Pass. Forward Pass. The horse that ended up winning. That was supposed to be the winner of the race. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So he, like, treated all of his... All of... Calumet's horses, so they were tight. Yeah. And certainly, Forward Pass was an overwhelming favorite with the Kentucky hard boots that year. Mm -hmm. So he might have, like, betted on them or something. Right. And Reed's dealings with Hart Hill, so the journalist or whatever, the guy Mm -hmm. who wrote the article who dove deep into it. Right. Dealings with the Dr. Hart Hill took a bizarre turn when the reporter was sent by his editors to the Churchill backstretch after the disqualification to get a better lay of the land. So Reed went to go visit him. Right. So Reed said Hart Hill came up to him, grabbed him to like shake his hand, and then with his other hand punched him. Oh. The doctor punched the journalist. Okay, weird. And Hart Hill admitted that he did hit Reed. What? Uh, Quote, I was stunned, he said. I was laying there. Just immediately? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I was laying there. He was standing over me, and I remember him saying to me, quote, you've been checking into that gambling coup in Caliente, haven't you? End quote. What? (laughs) So we punched him because he was digging too deep. Into something else. (laughs) Or no, he could have um, placed bets. Right. Over there. Oh, okay. But, yeah, okay. Yeah, it could be. Okay. Oh, okay. okay, Got it. Like he he placed a bet on forward pass in Caliente, Mm -hmm. and that's that's what he was referring to. Yes. Uh, I had never heard of the Caliente Future book at that time. (laughs) So that's one theory. Okay. Apparently, he went over there to see if there was any like sketchy, um, right? Whatever Uh and dealings over about that time, and he couldn't like find anything. Mm -hmm. But also. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be don't, hard. If you're the person who wants a journalist to stop looking into you, don't don't punch him yourself. You hire like goons to do that who like won't reveal your identity. Apparently, he like went in with his left hand for a handshake, uh-huh. started shaking his hand, and then pow, just punched him. <laughs> I know that's funny. That, that is funny. Yeah, I'm that's... like, what? When I read that, I was like, wait, what? What yeah. happened? I, that's just I. It, you you don't want, but I, I'm just saying like if you want a journalist to not look into something, you don't want them to know who is telling them not to look into something. I know, I know. For a doctor, he's not very smart. Mm-hmm. So you want to hear another theory? Yeah. Okay. This one's not at all really related. Okay. So 
dancer's image. One won the 1968 Governor's Gold Cup in Maryland shortly after the April 4th assassination of the civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. <laughs> An admir- admirer of King, Fuller donated the entire winner's share, more than $60,000, to, oh. to Martin Luther King Jr.'s oh. widow, Coretta. Okay. Uh, the year before his death... King had led a fair housing protest in Louisville, and there had been talk then that activists might disrupt the 1967 Kentucky Derby as part of the protest. So people over there did not right. like yeah. Martin Luther. I mean, for a lot of reasons, but that was one of, <laughs> that community didn't like them, right? Because they were like a they threat. They had a particular grudge against him. Yes. So before the 1968 Derby, Fuller's act of generosity towards Coretta King was reported by CBS Radio. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've always wondered if what happened to the horse could have come in re- retaliation for my support of King, Fuller told Bill Christine of the Los Angeles Times in 1988. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there were a lot of racial undertones at the time. So this is coming. This is a quote from um, his daughter, Fuller's right. daughter. Okay. After he made the donation to Dr. King's wife, he got a lot of threatening letters. He wanted to bring in his own guys for security and Churchill told him no. That 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 would only make it worse. Uh, Reed Mm. had never been a believer in the theory that the King donation had anything to do with the Derby, though. Okay. Uh, I've never had any... I've never given any credence to the theory uh, that this happened because Peter Fuller had given one of the purses... Purses was like the winning amount. Right. Purses from a win to the widow of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he said. People think that all these redneck races from Kentucky were out to get his li- to get this liberal from New England. I don't buy it. I buy it. So this is I mean, a, this is an interesting one. I mean, not necessarily. Not I don't I don't think the people who run the Kentucky Derby are rednecks. I think they're, oh, they're I know. the aristocracy of Kentucky. I know. Um, so a different King theory, a different yeah, Martin yeah, yeah. Luther King Who, Jr. And, you know, they theory. wouldn't want their money going to Coretta King. Yeah. yeah Ready? Yes. Um, involved J. Edgar Hoover and <laughs> oh. the FBI. <laughs> yeah. And Martin Luther King. <laughs> Great. So Toby, Toby, who's Toby? <laughs> I don't know. I think the author of an article I read. Okay. Toby has another theory on Fuller's relationship to the King family. Okay. Okay. Uh, quote, the intriguing argument that most people have dismissed over the years is that his donation to the gov- of the governor's gold cup purse to Coretta Scott King actually had an effect or influence of some kind, but perhaps not with the people in Kentucky, he mm. said. During those times, J. Edgar Hoover was fighting a battle against Martin Luther King and everyone supporting him. It would be interesting to see if there are FBI files that Hoover kept on Peter Fuller. So, mm-hmm. um... The FBI, for years, staged heavy-handed smear campaigns to discredit activists in the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. including Jean Seberg, I don't know, I think that's how you say it, a white actress who was a vocal supporter of the Black Panthers. Uh, Hoover also worked tirelessly to marginalize Martin Luther King Jr. as a leader of the civil rights movement. Hoover was an avid horse racing fan oh. and definitely knew 
who Fuller was and who the owner of Dancer's Image was. Right. So after the race, the stewards request only. So that's sketchy. Yeah. So they think it has something to do with the Hoover. Right. That's that's something of a coincidence. Is Mm -hmm. there more to this? Um. So I kinda. So after the race, the stewards requested only two drug tests among the runners. Right. Dancer's Image, the first place winner. Right. And the fifth place finisher. Okay. Kentucky Sherry. Interesting. The new winner, which was what's his name? Uh, Forward Pass. Forward Pass. Was never drug tested, even though it was customary to test the first place winner. Right. So even after he became the winner. They didn't test him. Right. I mean, I guess at that point it would be kind of pointless because whatever he would have had in him for the race would be out of his system by the time he was named the winner, you know? I guess. Yeah. But But. still... They don't, for some reason, they tested the first place and the fifth place winner of, right. the, of the thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they did that. I'm guessing they, you know, they, they test the winner always and then another random horse is my assumption as to how mm-hmm. that would work. But they should Maybe, probably still. do the first two just, you know, in case this happens. <laughs> just in case they need to disqualify the first one. Mm-hmm. So, you have, yeah, so you have a test for the new first place. Mm-hmm. So Reed said, I grew up to have a lot of respect for Peter Fuller. He was an honest, decent guy who got a really bad deal. Peter Fuller was such a good person, and he deserved to win the Kentucky Derby. So Dancer's image was retired after the Preakness with 12 official victories and 24 starts with career earnings of $236,636. It's a rich horse. Dancer's image entered... Stud in Maryland in 1969 and later stood in Ireland, France, and Japan. One of the leading stallions in Japan, Dancer's Image, died of colic in December 1992 at age 27. Over 44 years, Fuller has never wavered in his attempt to right what he believes was a terrible wrong. He never raced another horse in the Kentucky, in the Kentucky Derby, but he, but his homebred Mom's Command ridden by Fuller's daughter, Abigail, won the Philly Triple Crown and an Eclipse Ward in 1985. Today, Fuller is still an active owner and breeder, a business he operates from his farmhouse in Northampton. (laughs) Fuller's real legacy was changes in the Kentucky Derby rules and regulations. Two major breakthroughs, stabling all derby horses in one barn with a lot of security, and new testing procedures have been implemented. Urine and blood samples are divided prior to testing. Now, one portion is tested while a second is kept for confirmation of the results if the initial tests are positive. Okay. Cool. Those seem like good changes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's all. Okay. Those all, those, those do. Isn't so that I, kind of a weird story? Right. I mean, it seems likely that the doctor would have would have dosed the horse at some point but it yeah, depends but it's kind of fun to think about yeah no, the no. fbi being involved. well i mean he could have done it on behalf of the fbi or mm-hmm. i mean he knew he was doing it for the fbi so he also placed a bet on it i also read that if administered um properly mm-hmm. it would leave within two days so maybe the four days before he administered way too much so or he uh, didn't administer it like properly on right. purpose right but 
I mean, giving four to six days is a long time if it's generally out within like 72 hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, 72 hours. So it was six days before. Yeah. Duh, that's three days. I was thinking that was two days and I was like, wait. Yeah. yeah. So six no. days before that, that's a long time. Mm hmm. Yeah, it is. That's, yeah. So I'm guessing, hmm, it's very strange. But also, why didn't they test the other one? Because it was three days after the, um, oh, yeah, it was three days after that they were the... like, oh, wrong. Mm hmm. I guess, well, because, you know, if they'd given it to him, like, you know, right before it, or the day before, or two days before, it would have been in any system for the race, but out of it by the time they tested him. But, I mean, they still should. Or, you know, but, the, you know, since it was after the race, they could, like, give him stuff. They could give Butte to forward pass as well mm-hmm. after the race if they wanted. It's just, they said that they never saved any of the samples and never, like, tested to see like right. the ratio like how much was actually in there yeah so it'd be interesting to see that because if there was a lot someone obviously administered right. it like yeah they, they just the tested it once mm-hmm. and then went off they didn't like retest it at any point or hmm. they didn't have the samples anymore they threw them away after that mm-hmm. okay Mm-hmm. Or if there was like a very teeny, teeny, tiny amount and maybe right. there was, but seven, 70, it was six days and it's gone within mm-hmm. 72 hours. That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. So I think, I don't know, someone probably just drugged him. Probably. But also why is ibuprofen <laughs> illegal to use in a race? I mean. That's weird. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a chemical thing. I don't know. It's ibuprofen. Yeah, well, Do you it's want the something butazone or whatever. Yeah, well, it seems like an ibuprofen for horses. Yeah, it seems like it does similar stuff. Okay, well, that's all I have. Okay, cool. 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 That's all. The end. Yeah. <laughs> so we are like uh, revamping, I guess you could say, our website. Yeah, it'll have a new look. It'll have soon. a whole new look. It'll look really. It's. It looks really good. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna. It'll just be uh, knownunknownspodcast.com. Right. Um. So all of you who are subscribed to our email list will get an email when that goes live. Yeah. So look out for that. So if you're not subscribed, go to our crappy website now. <laughs> Subscribe. And I think our website right now is really good, but our new one is even better. It's cleaner. The new one is cleaner. Mm -hmm. The old one is fun, but it's not as clean for sure. (laughs) Okay. I like our new one. It's good. So that'll be coming uh, soon. We're going. We're going for a whole new, whole new look. Mm -hmm. Also, branding. Yeah. Kind of. Not really, but kind of. Yeah. Car- so and Carly's doing her blog. I'm also gonna start. I think using our, we've we have a Twitch account, but we've never used it. Um, I I think so. I think I'm gonna start uh streaming games like that have that are relevant to things we talk about. Uh, ver- various creepy games. Maybe I might I might try giving that a shot and see if see how I like it see how other people want so uh keep a lookout for that i'll announce on twitter probably when when that's gonna happen um if you want to like follow us so you get notified when i do that we're on uh, twitch.tv slash known unknowns mm-hmm. um we could send out an email to everyone on our email list yeah once we decide to do that yeah. launch that 
Yeah, new absolutely. Because it's a new, it's a new thing. It's a new known unknowns, more known unknowns branded content. Mm-hmm. Okay. The known unknowns empire is expanding. So that's all I got. Cool. So that's it for this week. Sounds good to me. So, uh, so I've been Harry. And I'm still Carly. And this has been... Known Unknowns. Proud to be the official podcast of the Chrysler Motor Company. Because it's weird out there. Bye. Bye.